This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. We are in the mood for fantasy football. We are Pro Football Network. I'm your host, BJ Rudell, PFN's fantasy football director. With me, as always, is PFN fantasy analyst Tommy Garrett. And joining us again today, PFN fantasy analyst Jason Katz, better known as Katz. Hope you're both doing well. We're going to talk about Week 13 fantasy impacts. We're going to go game by game and pick out one player from each team in each game and figure out what is going on with that player because player values change from game to game. They change from month to month, from season to season. If we are on top of it, we can better anticipate what they might do in future weeks. So, Tommy, starting with you, I asked you uh, over the weekend uh, if fantasy managers could trust Kyle Pitts, which sounded like a strange question maybe six weeks earlier, but uh, seemed to make sense over the weekend. Uh, He was uh, the featured player in my fantasy newsletter Sunday morning, warning managers about his uh, low catch rate since Calvin Ridley stepped away. And uh, he was a TE2 yesterday. So I'm asking you now, Tommy, again, even more pointedly, should managers worry about Kyle Pitts? Oh, it's the whole thing we keep talking about is like, you know, it's it's nice to target volume, especially when it comes to tight end position. We always want those touchdowns. The downside with Kyle Pitts right now is like, hey, look, the Atlanta Falcons aren't scoring a lot of points. So that's always going to reduce his his ceiling. But the thing we have to love about Kyle Pitts was he actually saw an increase, which you don't want to see in the box score. And that was in his snap count. Like of the, of the 71 snaps the Atlanta Falcons ran, he was out there on 67 of those snaps and ran 42 different routes last week. So that type of utilization is massive. Like when we see guys that are getting that type of route numbers on that many amount of snaps, like eventually that's going to produce into things like we're kind of seeing before. Like when he would have these monster games, like he's always going to have now have this, you know, this further a dot kind of, take, kind of trying to fill in this little bit more of what Calvin Ridley brought to this team. So like you said, he's always going to have a little bit lower, a little bit lower of a catch rate, but the utilization of how massive he means to this offense can't be overstated right now. So it's, he's not this locked in top five, but when you get beyond that, there's not a lot of, Hey, we have locked in options. So finding someone who is at least seeing this amount of look of this amount of work inside the offense, that's kind of rare to see right now. So as, as much as you have to deal with these tight end two games, like a lot of tight ends end up having these tight end two games, unless you have someone, you know, named Travis Kelsey, uh, who's the most consistent player in the NFL based off, you know, his weekly finishes. Right on. And how about the Bucks, Cats? Uh, Tom Brady, the entire offense looked amazing, but of course they were playing the Falcons. Uh, next week they face the Bills. Uh, is this still full speed ahead for normal Buccaneers players heading into next week? Or is there any trepidation that you have uh, as the Bucks haven't looked invincible this year? They didn't last year until they got to the playoffs. What do you make of their their fantasy prospects for the major players on the Bucks teams heading into Buffalo? Well, they've shown some signs of weakness when they lost to the Saints. They lost to the football team. But ultimately, right now, this team just firing on all cylinders. 30-plus points in three consecutive games. Chris Godwin, 15 catches on 17 targets for 143 yards. Evan, seven catches on 10 targets for 99 yards. Gronk with 58 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, but the guy that I'm most interested in going forward is Leonard Fournette. Right now, he trails only Austin Eckler and Najee Harris in targets. That type of usage in the passing game uh, makes Fournette, for me, the single most reliable weekly running back, not named Jonathan Taylor. 
We haven't seen the subutilization of the passing game since he was in Jacksonville in that one massive year that he had. Yeah, it's just it's just incredible, and it just it it raises his floor and ceiling, and it's just it's such a value this season. And we've talked about that before with different guys, and it's a good segue catch to the Bears Cardinals game. I asked you over the weekend if you could trust David Montgomery. Um, he got more usage in the passing game. He got a score. Uh, do you trust him anymore, or do you think that that was just a game to set aside and you still don't think David Montgomery is at that same level of, let's say, a top 16 running back? It's interesting because he had been seeing this massive 85 to 90% snap share, and it actually dropped down to 70% this week, but his usage went up, specifically in the passing game, like you mentioned, nine targets, 30 total opportunities. That, that type of volume that he's getting is going to make him just a must-start every week. Of course, there will be weeks where he just has those uh, 70 to 80-yard games with a couple catches and maybe doesn't score, and it's not great. But that's still a very high floor, those, that 8 to 10 fantasy point range. And we know he has the ceiling. We saw it this week. The Bears are going to be heavy underdogs the next three weeks, but Montgomery has proven immune to game script. Uh, so, yeah, Montgomery is, uh, is at least a mid to high RB2 going forward. Very good. Tommy, uh, switching to the Cardinals, you were right to be bullish about Kyler Murray and his return from a serious ankle injury. I did not trust. I see you nodding in approval. Uh, I did not trust him. Uh, He definitely came through. We could spend an hour talking through the minutia of what that means. But instead, for our listeners, let's shift to DeAndre Hopkins. He was Mm -hmm. eased back in. I think he only got a couple targets. Do you trust him going forward, heading into the fantasy playoffs? Are you happy to have DeAndre Hopkins, or are you a little bit nervous? I'll always be happy having DeAndre Hopkins on my team. Um, It just all comes down to how you manage the expectations. Like, DeAndre Hopkins is not that 150-target guy that we've been seeing over these previous seasons. Um, I I figured he would come into a little bit slow. The touchdown is what saved him Um, because, I mean, outside of that, he didn't really do much. He only had 32 yards on two receptions. He came into me for the week in my my, uh, wide receiver 23. I think he ended in half PPR at the wide receiver 28. Um, So it's kind of within range. Like, I'm okay with that kind of finish out of him, but it's the touchdown saved him. Moving forward, like, as long as Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins get healthy, which we would assume that DeAndre Hopkins will get, you know, progressively more healthy as he's coming off of his off of his injury, he should be more heavily used in this offense. Um, so I think he'll be good going forward. He's going to come in, in like in that wide receiver two kind of range. Uh, Grant, that's not where you drafted him at. You were expecting, you know, wide receiver one kind of production out of him. But if you get wide receiver two production out of him, given the way this offense can roll when we see it going uh, as good as it can be, I think DeAndre Hopkins will be fine for fantasy managers moving forward. Very good. And switching, uh, uh, sticking with you, but switching to the Bengals-Chargers game, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Burrow, um, I was actually pretty down on him uh, this summer. I thought he was uh, overvalued. I think he was a QB 13 consensus. He proved me wrong in the first eight games. He had uh, uh, eight double-digit passing TD games. Uh, but now he has uh, uh, basically three passing TDs in his last four games, and he hurt his finger against the Chargers. So now as we get into the final stages of the season, people have T. Higgins, they have Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. A lot of people have Joe Burrow. Do you think you can trust it? Look, seeing, I think we all watched that game, seeing what he looked like after he hurt his finger. Yep. Do you have any hesitation about what this offense can do in the passing game, or is this just a short-term thing for Burrow who get back on track? I've actually, I've absolutely got trepidation when it comes to Joe Burrow. Um, anytime you have an injury to your throwing hand and you are a quarterback and your job is to throw the ball, 
that's going to impact you in one way or another. Granted, at least his night's kind of on the pinky. It's not like a middle finger or a uh, or a pointer finger like we've kind of seen with some quarterbacks, but it definitely was hampering him uh, later in the game. You could see him when he was trying to warm and throw on the sidelines. He was in visible pain. Um, the touchdowns are a little bit of a concern, but we kind of expected some of that drop off because a lot of those are coming, you know, deep ball to Jamar Chase. Go get it. Um, he had the one he almost could have had this week, but a little bit jumps off of his hands, end up being an interception. Granted, that goes to Joe Burrow. That's more Jamar Chase's fault than anyone else. It was a great ball by Joe Burrow. I think the touchdowns will come back, but right now, the way Joe Mixon is playing, they don't need to air the ball out constantly. It's more of a complimentary aspect. Move the ball down the field, give it to Joe, uh, give it to Joe Mixon inside the red zone. And it's working right now for the Bengals. They're playing some phenomenal football. Um, I think Joe Burrow, I think right now he's kind of coming in like kind of where he's going to be after this week. I think this week he finished just outside the QB1. I think he's right on that threshold of a QB12 to QB13. That's kind of where he is for me he's a he's a fringe qb1 but more in that streaming option based mm-hmm. on the matchup i think that's given the volume that's on this offense the players that they have if you get him in a good matchup i think burrow could be worth a, a streaming play but you're gonna have to see what's gonna happen with his finger um because that was definitely going to give us some concern moving forward very good good analysis cats chargers I, I just pointed out to tommy where he got me uh, on kyler murray now i'm going to point out to you cats where i got you Mike Williams, um, you know, no, no, uh, you know, we're all friends here and, uh, and we can pick on each other. These are all, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So a couple of us are friends. I won't say who, um, uh, but Mike Williams, uh, I liked what he did. He's on my team. Was it a fluke? Is it one of those, like where you said last week, yeah, he'll have a, you know, he'll have a good game and then he'll, he'll fall back to earth. Are you expecting the fall back to earth to happen? I'm always expecting it to happen with Mike Williams. My opinion on him hasn't changed at all. I, I never, I, I, I compared him to Deshaun Jackson, but I, but I never valued Deshaun Jackson over him. It was more of just comparing like the random splash weeks we get from Big Mike to the random splash weeks we get from Deshaun Jackson. Last week, we got one of them. Five catches, 110 yards. Great day. If you started him, excellent. He was a rock solid wide receiver too. He still has just one touchdown in his last seven games. And Keenan Allen has been, has been used more in the red zone as of late. So I view him the same as I did before. Of course, I'd start him over to Sean Jackson. And I said last week I'd start him over T.Y. Hilton, who I liked, which didn't end up working out. Uh, but he remains just a volatile wide receiver four for me. Very good. And I'll repeat what I said last week, which is that the Chargers need to have three guys involved. It can't just be Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, especially against tougher opponents. And that's where I think Williams will shine because they just don't have any other reliable guy. Not that Williams well, to is be- reliable. But he is. No, he I is, think he is reliable, and I think he should be involved more. You're 100 percent right about that. The issue that I have is not with his talent; it's with it's with how they use him. They, they he needs to get those targets, he needs to get that volume, and it just has it hadn't been coming in the past, you know, six or seven weeks beyond week five. Uh, we wow. saw it a little bit better last week, but still, he had over nine targets in four of his first five games. Nine targets or more in four of his first five games. Since then, eight is his highest number. So the usage is not where it once was. Cats, I'm glad you're on Mike Williams' side. Uh, Cats, sticking with you with another Williams, Jamal Williams for the Lions. Uh, only adequate uh, on Sunday, which I guess in hindsight uh, could be expected. I thought he would get more receptions based on his receptions, uh, you know, in, in normally in games or throughout his career. But he only got, I think, one. Is he a risky start now with DeAndre Swift out, or would you start him as a top 24 back? Coming off of Williams, I got wrong. I think that I was pretty accurate on my uh, perception of Jamal Williams that he would be merely adequate. I said 50 to 80 yards, four to six catches. He had 80 yards, but like you said, only one catch, which did surprise me. 
What I didn't foresee was the heavy utilization of Godwin Igwebuke. Jamal played just 47% of the snaps and ran just 12 routes compared to Igwebuke's 24. Hmm. If Dan Campbell is going to use Igwebuke similar to how he used DeAndre Swift over the first, first, first few weeks of the season, then Jamal is going to lose that reception's floor. He goes from a low RB2 to a low RB3 at best because no one in the Lions has touchdown upside. Uh, yeah. So right now, yeah, I'm, I'm lowering my expectations for Jamal Williams based on the decreased passing game usage. Hey, very before good. we get going, round of applause there for Cats for that pronunciation. That was phenomenal work. That was very good. Uh, you know, when I was, when, I was, uh, players. when I was researching this and, and going through what was going on in the game, I didn't really plan. I should have called him Godwin, but then there's Chris Godwin. I didn't want to get confused. So I ended up saying Igwebuke now five times, and I did not plan on doing that, and I would like to not do it again. I would still be in front of my mirror practicing right now. <laughs> well, uh, great job, Cats. Good call, Tommy. Tommy to you. Adam Thielen, potentially missing time as of recording this uh, Monday afternoon. We do not know the results of the MRI. Uh, if he does miss time, how valuable is K.J. Osborne? Where would you rank him, do you think, this week? An early kind of ranking assessment. I think KJ is going to be massively important in this offense right now because he's been operating as that wide receiver, which we all kind of entered the season wondering who that was going to be. Was it going to be BC Johnson, Amir Smith, Marset, who they drafted out of Iowa? Uh, but KJ Osborne really kind of took over. And after the Adam Thielen injury, he really saw himself kind of get established, saw seven targets in the game. More importantly, he played on 70 of the 76 snaps and ran 43 routes, um, which I think kind of is an indicator of he's going to be heavily used in this team because, quite frankly, they have so much to replace. Like Adam Thielen represented not he only had he came into the week. Adam Thielen was tied for the Lee League with 10 touchdowns, but also were responsible for 30% of the Vikings air yards. Combined with him and Justin Jefferson, those two combined for 72% of the Vikings passing game in terms of their intended air yards. That's a massive hole you have to try to now fill with KG Osborne. Uh, he's going to be he's going to be one of the top waiver claims I think this week given the way this offense works and what they need to have. You don't have Dalvin Cook right now, so you're going to have to keep trying to air this ball out. He's probably going to come in in that probably like wide receiver three kind of range. I would be guessing probably in the low end of that, just because he is not Adam Thielen talent wise. He's probably not going to see the same type of uh, red zone usage. Like they're still going to heavily rely on Justin Jefferson. I think Justin Jefferson mm-hmm. is probably going to end up being the wide receiver one. I think I have him as my wide receiver two on the week, uh, just in my early rankings. Obviously, this is Monday, so we still have a lot to kind of go through. Uh, but I think KJ Osborne is going to probably be a massive factor in this offense moving forward, especially if uh, this is going to be a season long injury for him. Very good. And who do you prefer, uh, him or the Dolphins, switching to the Dolphins-Giants, Devontae Parker, who is solid in his return. We know what Parker can do. He has a track record. He's a, he's a capable number two receiver in this Miami offense that is not as pass-friendly as Minnesota's. Where do you think Parker fits in based on kind of the Osborne uh, metric that you've just laid out? Yeah, I mean, once again, Parker has a decent day. Um, we we weren't even sure he was going to play until we finally got the late notification coming up on Saturday or whatever that he was actually going to be active coming off the uh, injury reserve. So this is a guy who, like I said, we had seen like seven targets plus in every single game. We knew he had the usage with Tua. The question is going to be, how does this all kind of shake out with Jalen Waddle having established himself? Like Jalen Waddle has been like a wide receiver one on the season so far, and he's seeing some of the most targets in the NFL. So how would this offense kind of work? They had a void they needed to fill, and I think Devontae Parker kind of comes in and fills that very nice nicely for this team um you got to enjoy the use that he had great he didn't play on all the snaps plays on 48 of 69 but that's kind of to be expected for a uh, a guy's first game back moving forward he's i think he's probably going to be a solid option for this team kind of in that wide receiver three kind of range um he's going to be a flexible kind of moving forward if you have good games like miami does have good games after they come out of the bye week uh if i pull my thing back up yeah coming out of the bye week they have the jets and then they have new orleans so you love that jets matchup even against new orleans 
they're not one of the harder teams to go against in terms of the air. So I think you could have two pretty good matchups for him to start your playoffs. Yeah, and that's where Miles Gaskin, you probably want to uh, look to sit if you have a better option. That could be a tough one against against New Orleans. Orleans yes, against the Jets, he's yeah. a smash that's, play because right. the Jets are dead play, last in, terms in terms of, of running backs. In term, that's exactly right. In terms of New Orleans, people need to plan ahead. Um, yeah. Cats, Giants, Saquon Barkley did better than I think both of us expected. Um, uh, did we misjudge him, or is he officially back on the uh, must-start spectrum? Do you think the injury issues and the reacclimation to the NFL are behind him? Not at all. I watched a lot of this Giants game. Uh, Barkley looked as bad as I've ever seen him. Uh, everything that made him a generational prospect, it's gone right now. I, I mean, I, I'm hoping it will come back, but I don't. I did not see the burst. I did not see the lateral agility. I saw no yards after the catch. Good news, he did see nine targets. I do think Daniel Jones is done for the season, and Mike Glennon is a statue. We'll continue to check it down, keeping Barkley as that RB2 in PPR. Bad news is Glennon may not play this week either. And if we're going to Jake Fromm, I mean, if, if they can't move the ball at all, then Saquon Barkley is going to see eight-man boxes, and the only chance he has at returning any sort of high RB2 or RB1 value is breaking off a big run. He had two 11-yard receptions in garbage time this past week and still totaled just 19 yards on his six catches. 11 carries for 55 yards is nice, but it's less nice when you realize one of them went for 23 yards. I think Barkley remains just a floor-based RB2. Very good. Well, uh, uh, that's a good assessment. I, I'm still big on Devontae Booker uh, down the stretch. I do think that they shut down Saquon Barkley at some point. Um, and Booker, as we've talked about, Cass provides uh, at this point with both of them playing the same skill set. Uh, Jets, Eagles, Cats, how valuable is Tevin Coleman? Uh, I did not expect him to run away with this backfield. I was surprised Ty Johnson only got a couple looks at the end and one run in, near the beginning, and that was it. Is Tevin Coleman better than I thought he was? Well, right now, he looks a lot better than Saquon Barkley, I'll tell you that much. Uh, Coleman's always had juice. The problem is he's been that Christine, he's that, has that Christine Michael problem where he just runs really straight, really fast. And if the hole is there, great. And if it's not, well, he's going to run into a defender and probably get tackled. That's the good. <laughs> the bad is that Coleman played just 39% of the snaps, which is down from 45% the week before. 15 opportunities down from 19 the week before. That's, those are still good numbers, though, and they're usable numbers. He hasn't scored a touchdown all season. And again, I know he's on the Jets, so the touchdown upside is never going to be there. But but at some point, even a bad team like the Jets, he should be able to find the end zone. Uh, given his low probability of scoring, though, because he's on the Jets, he's looking more than a back-end volume-based RB3, but he has use in fantasy and should be on rosters. Very good. And the Eagles, Tommy, if Miles Sanders misses time, we don't know the situation with Sanders and Jordan yeah. Howard as of recording this. We've got Boston Scott and the revitalized Kenneth Gainwell remaining. Uh, what do you make of this? If this is a Scott Gainwell backfield, do people just put a lot of their fab on Gainwell if they don't have a you know a top twenty-four running back? Uh, I think right now you probably need to just roster both. If they're out there flinging around, whether it's Scott or Gainwell, I think they probably should both be rostered right now. I think a big part of this was like Miles Sanders was having a fantastic, he was having his best game in the season prior to his injury. So we'll, we'll have to kind of see what this offense does. But I think a good part of that was because they didn't have Jalen Hurts on this team. So if you take away that mobile quarterback upside, you're going to start seeing more carries going to these running backs. Um, Kenneth Gainwell looks, he looked explosive. Um, he saw, he kind of looked like the guy that we saw come out of Memphis. Uh, one of the guys that I really loved on this team. He actually did lead uh, the team, the backfield and targets too with five ran 12 different rounds but the big thing is he had 14 he had 12 carries uh which was 12 more than boston scott in this game 
Um, I think of the two, long-term rest of season, I would probably prefer Boston Scott over Kenneth Gainwell. Um, but I think they're probably both going to be kind of in that same kind of range. I think it might be one of those where it's we're going to find out who's going to get the ball the most during the game when it's already too late. I could see this being a little bit of a frustrating backfield, especially once Jalen Hurts comes back. Because um, as much as I love Gardner Minshew, I think they're probably going to end up going back to Jalen Hurts at some point, given the upside that he brings. Um, so I think you're probably going to want to roster both of them that are if they're out there. Um, probably, like I said, a rest of the season, I'm probably going to lean Scott over Gainwell. Very good. And uh, sticking with you, Tommy, Texans-Colts, uh, the Rex Burkhead experiment did not work. Uh, some would say the Houston Texans experiment has not worked, uh, whatever they've been trying to do. Um, Maybe they David, want to trade David Johnson away for, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, see if they can pull that trade off. Yes. No um, one would do that. There's no way, right? That would never happen. No. So uh, Davis Mills taking over uh, at quarterback with Tyrod Taylor sidelined. And the big question is because there's only one player on that team that people are seriously thinking about starting each week. And that's Brandon Cooks. Yep. Is Cooks done or are you still looking at Cooks as a WR3? Oh, I hate this so much because I like Brandon Cooks. He's been one of the most efficient guys and most underrated guys in the NFL. Like he's consistently a thousand yards. Don't care who he plays for, except it's the Houston Texans, and apparently they're bad enough to where, look, you can take away the fun out of uh, Brandon Cooks. Last week comes out with uh, three for 38, and before week before that, look, he had three receptions and two receptions. I mean, he's had, like I said, he's had eight catches since the bye. Moving forward, Davis Mills, I get they have Seattle coming up, then you have Jacksonville. Even in the games like that, like, they don't love the upside. As a flex play, sure, I get it, because we know what he can do when he gets targeted. But it's one of those, like, I have a very hard time trusting his offense. If I had better upside players, I would probably look to play them over top of Brandon Cooks, just given the absolute floor that this team has. I think 8.4 points, like, that might be his normal moving forward, which is not going to cut it when you have the playoffs coming up. Excellent. Not excellent, but excellent. Cats, Colts, Carson Wentz hasn't cleared 200 passing yards and a touchdown in three of his last four games. Uh, we know this offense works well because of Jonathan Taylor. It could work well without Jonathan Taylor if Wentz is throwing it, but that's not what we're looking at. We're looking at Carson Wentz as a fantasy QB. And my question is, would you stream him as a fantasy QB? Sometimes I get things very wrong. Uh, Carson Wentz's week 13 projection was not one of them. I recall discussing how Wentz wouldn't have to throw much and it would be mostly Jonathan Taylor, and it was. Wentz attempted just 22 passes, his second lowest of the season. Care to guess uh, the week in which he had his fewest pass attempts? Uh, the week it, before? It was week six against the Texans. Ah, there you go. The problem with Wentz is always going to be volume and the commitment to the run game. If you start Wentz, you're hoping the Colts end up uniquely positioned in the red zone where like, they throw the touchdowns. Because you never know. When you get to the end zone, the red zone, you get down like inside the 10, maybe at the 8 or the 10, they're going to throw. Inside the 5, probably going to run. Unfortunately, JT's been stealing all the touchdowns. Uh, there will be games when Wentz throws them all, and that'll be great. But predicting them is going to be difficult. With the bye week coming up and the Patriots after that, I don't like Wentz's chances of being useful until at least week 16 in a potential shootout against the Cardinals. Um, but I don't know if you can hold him that long and or if you need to. Uh, that, that might be a week he's worth using. But for the next two weeks, he's not startable. Very good. And there are, there are exceptions to that rule. The Falcons were at the half-yard line on first and goal against the Bucks, and they threw it all three times. So... Uh, Things like that can happen. But yes, Katz, to your point, that's the normal way that uh, teams operate. Katz, sticking with you, uh, late games. We'll move through these a little bit faster. Uh, the Raiders, Kenyon Drake out for the year. 
Uh, is Josh Jacobs now an obvious RB1, or does Peyton Barber slide in and get six to eight touches and hamper Jacobs' upside just a little bit? There were a, 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 a whole confluence of factors that worked in Jacobs' favor last week. Jalen Richard was placed on the COVID list right before the game, and then Drake broke his ankle in the first half. There was nobody else. So Jacobs played 85% of the snaps. He saw a career-high nine targets. I have a hard time believing that level of usage will continue. If the passing game work persists, then absolutely, he's going to be an RB1. If not, he'll go back to being a very safe and a very strong RB2. Very good. Uh, Tommy, Washington. So uh, over the weekend on this podcast, uh, I uh, one of the things I got right was uh, expressing deep concern. I did it on this podcast. I did it on the newsletter. The Terry McLaurin was a far riskier uh, offensive option, fantasy option than people really appreciated. He had been a WR4 or worse in six of 11 games. It's now seven of 12. So uh, is he a top 28 receiver for you this week? Are you still looking at Terry McLaurin, the great receiver who has the chance to be a WR1 any week? Or are you looking at him as too risky to be a must start? I mean, I still look at Terry McLaurin as a top 28 receiver. Absolutely. Um, I don't think he's, like I said, he's not locked in as that uh, wide receiver one. But like I said, you talk about the weeks where obviously he struggles and now 7 to 12. And the weeks where he hits, wide receiver three, four, five, and 9. Like, that's pretty reliable at that point when he hits. Um, like, if you look at the air yards, in terms of how much a player represents for his team, his 45.1% is the highest individual share of any wide receiver in the NFL. He's top 10 in targets. He's also top 10 in the NFL in target share at 27.2. I think he's top 15 in yards at that point as well. It all comes down to how well Taylor Heineke can play because that's going to be the driving factor of Terry McLaurin's value. Um, But for what he represents on this team, few wide receivers in the NFL mean more to their team than what Terry McLaurin means to Washington. So you're going to have these games where he's going to absolutely stall out and he's going to give you a disappointing finish. That's going to happen with this guy. But when it hits, it's going to be it's phenomenal. We've seen what he can do against any cornerback. And routinely, he's winning his routes. He's got one of the best uh, separation uh, metrics that are out there. And he's routinely getting open, whether it's in man, whether it's in zone, press, backed off, whatever the route is. We know he can do and he's been doing it since Ohio State. They just have to get him the ball. So you have to ride out some of these bad weeks knowing how much he means this team because at any given week, he can be that wide receiver one for a given week. Very good. And sticking with you, Tommy Rams, Jaguars, Sonny Michelle came through. Um, will he still have standalone value when Daryl Henderson returns? Probably not. Um, Darrell Henderson was kind of leading this backfield. So I think Sonny Michelle will probably just get relegated back to that back in wide receiver back in running back three kind of role i don't see them wanting to run too much of a committee approach to this one he might see towards you know six to ten carries something like that in the game he's not going to give you any uh receiving upside that's never been his mo throughout his entire career i don't see that changing now they'll probably still work with henderson moving forward he's probably like i said he's going to be in that flex kind of play but anytime that you see Darrell henderson go out we know at that point we can probably reliably start uh sony michelle given the matchup and I'm wondering if the Rams look back on what happened a few years ago with Todd Gurley, and I know they're hoping to get Cam Akers back for the playoffs. Yep. I wonder if the back of the coaches' minds or in the front of their minds, they're thinking, we, we don't want Henderson to get hurt. And if that, if that creates this environment where they are doing more of a timeshare because they are nervous about, about you know, the possibility of Henderson having an injury and they're, I mean, Henderson is really important to this offense. Cam Akers would be just as important or more important 
but it's hard to imagine Cam Akers coming in cold and helping to lead this team to a Super Bowl. Um, it's it just seems like there's a lot at risk um, starting Henderson as a bell cow. But I, yeah, I, I mean, uh, if we look at the end of the season stretch for Cam Akers, I mean, he was one of the highest used players in the entire NFL towards the end of the season into the playoffs. Like I said, I don't see him getting that type of uses, even if he does come back. Then they'll work that committee approach with Henderson. But I think it's it's yeah. if you're going to make it to the playoffs, you're looking forward, you're Sean McVay. You're just trying to get to the playoffs at that point, and then you'll deal with it if Cam Akers is even back. Very good. Cats, Jaguars. Is Traquan, uh, uh, Laquan Treadwell the Jags' best fantasy receiver? I can't believe I'm saying this, but yes, and it's actually not close. Which is not to say Laquan Treadwell is lighting the world on fire. He had 9.3 PPR fantasy points last week. Good for the wide receiver 40 finish. So that's that's a, a high mid to high wide receiver four. That's probably the best you're going to get with a Jaguars receiver. LaVisca Chenault played a season low 53% of the snaps. Um, sadly, I, I don't I don't think this is a volume issue. I think this is a talent issue at this point. Uh, we need to just accept sometimes that players are not as good as we expect them to be. And I think Chenault is quickly falling into that category. Um, Marvin Jones, he also remains on the field, which is about the nicest thing I can say about him. Uh, he's there. I don't particularly want any of them, but if I had to start one, it would be Treadwell. Very good. Uh, and uh, Kat, sticking with you, uh, Steelers-Ravens. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was my big sleeper quarterback uh, in uh, on the website. Last week, uh, he did bounce back against a Ravens defense that was missing uh, or had injured cornerbacks. Um, and uh, and really, you know, facing a Ravens team that had a good run defense, it was the only path for victory for Pittsburgh was to figure out how to air it out. And Ben came through. Uh, is this uh, a fluke, just a situational situation, uh, not to use that word twice, where they play the Ravens, so Ben has a good game, but they play somebody else with a decent pass defense and he falls short? Or is Ben Roethlisberger a streamer in what could be uh, one of his, uh, some of his final few games of his illustrious NFL career? I remember agreeing with you last week that Ben had a, had a, nice, uh, a nice chance to produce high-end QB2 numbers or maybe low QB1 numbers based on what I expected to be a higher-scoring game. I guess it's impressive that he was able to get to 236 yards and two touchdowns in a game with very little offense. That does have me encouraged. But like their game plan was not to air it out, which I don't understand. I don't know what their aversion is to throwing the ball, especially when they have like one of the best receivers in the NFL, Deontay Johnson, who just can't be covered. But Ben attempted just 31 passes, and they were just giving the ball to Najee Harris, watching him just run into linemen because uh, they just can't block. But nevertheless, next three games, Vikings, Titans, Chiefs. All three of those could be high scoring. Could yeah. make Ben have to throw, which will keep Ben at least on the streaming radar going forward. Very good. Tommy Ray. Half of Ben's throws are just an extension of the running game, given how short they are. I, I, I want to see more of those, though. Use those short passes in lieu of the running game when the running game is not working. And more teams should do that, including the Steelers. Um, Tommy Ravens, uh, I'm writing about Lamar Jackson in uh, Pro Football mm -hmm. Network's uh, newsletter for Tuesday morning. Uh, and uh, it's not good. Uh, it takes a contrarian view of what Lamar Jackson has done this season and what managers might expect going forward. Tell me if you share that contrarian view or if you are bullish about Lamar Jackson down the stretch. I mean, I guess it depends on what the contrarian view is. Contrarian view is that he is a risky QB1 the rest of the way. Okay. Um, would you be surprised if I told you Lamar Jackson is actually the fifth most consistent quarterback in terms of weekly finishes? I would be surprised. Yeah, his median average finish on the season is 10.6. Um, from a standard deviation standpoint, 
outside of the quarterbacks and like the very bottom of the NFL where it's okay, it's you know, your Trevor Lawrence, your Zach Wilson's, uh, Tyrod Taylor's that are consistently in the bottom part. He's actually one of the top five quarterbacks in terms of weekly finishes. Uh, it's that rushing upside that he brings that you know you can kind of see he's going to increase his floor. Uh, weekly finishes so far in the season, you know, and he has these weeks where he can finish as, you know, like the quarterback 19, quarterback 20 at that point. Um, but he's going to give you just as many weeks inside the top 10. Um, you know, any week he could rush and go off for, you know, 100 yards and two touchdowns. He's getting a better chemistry, you know, with uh, Rashad Bateman, who's been a consistent asset on this team. He has Mark Andrews playing well. Marquise Brown is still in there when they get involved. So I think I think Lamar Jackson, he's a guy you're going to start every single week, and he's got top five upside in any given week. It's interesting because he has multiple touchdowns, and I know what you're saying about the fantasy side. Mm-hmm. He has multiple touchdowns in three of 11 games. So he has one touchdown in eight games. And to your point, uh, he is getting through to the QB1 level because yep. of his rushing game. His, and his for me, final like, game I care about, okay, what did you do in fantasy? Right, like, that's right. So that's, looking, that's at my fantasy, looking at fantasy and looking at his schedule earlier this season and looking at his schedule down the stretch, he gets the Browns on the road, mm-hmm. then he gets the Packers, then he gets the Bengals on the road, then he gets the Rams, then he gets the Steelers. And my point is, I think based on what we've seen from Lamar Jackson this season, the fact that he's not throwing the ball very well at all. He is he is getting by on his rushing. Can we expect him to continue to rush at the level he has when he had an easier schedule earlier this season compared to what I see as a tough schedule down the stretch? I mean, I, over these past couple games, yeah, he struggled a little bit, but in the turn, like Lamar Jackson's actually been throwing the ball some of the best of his career. He's averaging over 260 yards a game passing, even including these last couple down weeks. Um, that puts him on, like, on pace right now he's ready to destroy all of his records that he has at this point. I think he's still on pace for like over 4,000 yards, uh, If you don't, not even including game 17. Um, so I think, yeah, it's we have these expectations of what I think he should be, but given this offense, like I don't see why any single reason, like why I would ever want to bench Lamar Jackson. Good. Um, thanks for uh, taking me down that uh, uh, exciting and interesting uh, uh, path. And we will see next week. I know Tommy will call me out if uh, if he's right. But we'll see how he does these next few weeks. Uh, Seahawks well, the interesting 49ers. Thing next week is they have a back-to-back matchup. They played the Browns. Browns had a bye. Right. Now they're getting the Browns again. So I'm really interested. Okay, you've had like almost three weeks of preparation for the Ravens. I think that's going to be really interesting because it's something you never see in the NFL. That's true. Um, good. Well, I'll give you two weeks then before we decide on Lamar Jackson. Uh, Tommy, sticking with you, Russell Wilson is the passing attack getting back on track it's not back on track obviously but is it getting back on track from a fantasy perspective are you a little more hopeful about russell wilson and this passing game yeah i'm absolutely hopeful um you want this offense to be good you know they have the playmakers to be good like adrian peterson cool you found the end zone but we know this team has zero rushing game if they're going to do anything with this offense it's got to be with the air goes 30 for 70 gets 230 yards throws two touchdowns does have the interception didn't really add much on the ground with only 15 yards, finished at the QB 15. So you hope this is a step in the right direction, which in turns mean we can start, start we can start to reliably start DK Metcalf. I'll never sit here and say you can reliably start Tyler Lockett. We know how boom and bust it can be over these past year and a half. Um, he's still going to be, he always comes inside that low end wide receiver two kind of range. I, yeah, I hope this is a resurgence of Russell Wilson and what we know he can bring to the NFL and what he can bring to fantasy. Well, hopefully that's going to be the case moving forward, but I will always kind of have a little bit of trepidation with a Pete Carroll offense in terms of the passing game. 
Good stuff. Uh, three more players, Cats, 49ers. I was uh, convinced Brandon Ayuk would step up as he has in recent weeks. He was one of my big buy lows in the middle of the season, and he's been coming through. And now without Debo Samuel, uh, he was an afterthought. George Kittle crushed it. Uh, was this uh, kind of a situational thing uh, based on matchup, or do you think Ayuk is not ready to be the number one? I think sometimes players in great situations just have down games. Uh, Ayuk actually played fewer snaps than Trent Sherfield. But Ayuk led the team in routes run. He did play 93% of the snaps. It just happened to be a George Kittle smash day. Ayuk's role on the team is the same. He just didn't produce. It happens. Uh, if he proves more volatile than we, it, it proves he's more volatile than we'd like, even with Debo Samuel out. But I think Ayuk remains a star of a wide receiver three every week. And on our last podcast, I asked you if Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, was a, would you start him with confidence? And uh, I'm asking you the same question now after what we saw, especially with. Uh, Daryl Williams getting three receptions for 60 yards. He's getting a little more usage in the game. It could have been, again, game script related. Uh, but Williams looked very good earlier in the season when the two were playing together. Do you trust Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Um, I, I still would put him in my lineup every week. I don't think there's any reason to bench him. He played 51% of the snaps, Daryl Williams 46%. But CEH is still dominating the touches. He had 17 opportunities, four carries, Three catches uh, on three targets. Darrell Williams, yeah, he had the big catch because he had 60, 60 yards on three receptions, but he still only had eight opportunities. Week before, eight opportunities. CEH, 14 two weeks ago, and then the aforementioned 17 this past week. So CEH is still clearly the lead back. He's definitely not an RB1, but he's a rock-solid RB2. Very good. And and finally, and I switched it up. I'm sorry, guys. I was going to ask you that uh uh, Tommy, I think, but uh, uh, Tommy, ending with you, Javante Williams, you get to talk about one of the heroes of uh, of week 13, and that's Javante Williams. He did everything that fantasy managers had hoped for. And big question now that managers need to be thinking about, and I'm looking to you, is when Melvin Gordon comes back, what do you think this backfield is going to look like from a fantasy perspective? Yeah, I was so happy watching Javante Williams go off. And based off my Twitter account, it looked like everyone else was happy with it too because he's one of everyone's darlings. It's like, you know, once he gets the role, he's going to take over this backfield. And you got a glimpse of what this guy can do. 23 for 102, uh, runs, uh, has seven targets, catches six for 76 yards with a touchdown. Like, this is what we want out of him. He was my uh, number two running back in Dynasty this year. Coming into this week, I had him as my RB6. Uh, apparently I wasn't high enough. He ends up as the number one running back, and I'm okay with that on being on that side of things. Uh, moving forward, like I hope this is the switch and we start to see Javante Williams being the featured back on this offense, but I'm hesitant to believe that'll actually happen. The Broncos were finding success running Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, plus they have Gordon under contract still, so there's no point of just sitting here and trying to wear out Javante Williams towards the end of the year as he's playing in the longest season of his entire football career going all the way back to Powell, Pop Warner, whatever they played, high school, junior high, everything. He's never played this many games. So there's always that wall that rookies, especially running backs, tend to hit. Um, hopefully by running this bit of a committee throughout the season, they've lengthened um, Javante Williams' season at this point and given him enough time to get conditioned, get used to the NFL, and we can see him have a great end-of-season stretch. I think Gordon will still be utilized in this team. Williams will probably fall back into that uh, running back two kind of range. With Melvin Gordon, I'll probably have him just behind him as a low-end RB2, probably in that high-end RB3 range. Hopefully the Broncos kind of keep this moving with Javante Williams and not Melvin Gordon. Very good. Uh, Tommy Garrett and Jason Katz. Terrific as always. Thanks for being here. Again, I'm BJ Rudell, Pro Football Network. Find us on the website, profootballnetwork.com. 
sign up for our newsletter through Twitter, the PFN Fantasy Newsletter. Go to Facebook. Uh, anywhere, the, I'm sure there are some uh, um, brick and mortar places that sell uh, Pro Football Network t-shirts. And uh, if not, uh, contact us. do, they're getting contacted by our lawyers. That's <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Tommy will have the final word. Uh, we will see you tomorrow.